I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Navinomskis has stepped away for the moment. He'll be back with us for some fish bites here in just a minute. Fresh on the heels of floating and fishing. He said he's got some tips uh, for people that uh, like to fish that way down the rivers. And uh, I think he's got some good stuff to share, so we'll look forward to that in Fish Bites in just a few. Right now, though, uh, we're blessed with not one but two segments with uh, Bob and Mark. We'll get to the usual road trip and segment next half hour. But uh, Bob Grove, Mark Wade, welcome in. Mark, it's good to hear you. Good to hear your voice. And Bob is on the road. Did you say you're in Loa today? I am. I'm I'm just on my way back home from uh, Tickaboo. Oh, all right. I uh, had asked you this morning if it would be possible to twist your arm and share last week's uh, adventure with us, both Bob and Mark, because you guys were out, and I guess you were this morning as well, Bob, with uh, Adam Eagle on uh, some filming adventures for his TV show. So where were you last week, Mark? Well, last week we started in Loa, where Bob is today. So he's come full circle. Yeah. And... <laughs> And we were out with uh, Kevin Jones and the some of the board members of the Paiute Trail, you know, the Paiute ATV Trail, they used to call it. Now it's just the Paiute Trail. And they've added about 400 miles of new trail out in an area south of Loa and to the west, if you will, that goes all the way over to Anamone and that neighborhood. And it's, a, it's about three, 400 miles of new trail. And we were out riding that trail with Adam and, and all that crew. All right. I, I uh, got the note that it was the Parker Mountain Plateau, Bob, but I didn't know that it was connected to the Paiute Trail. So I was unfamiliar with Parker uh, Mountain Plateau. I certainly know Antimony because that's a spot where we've stopped on our way to and from Bryce Canyon and had a pretty good burger along the way. Well, we share that sentiment. Sentiment. We um, That was actually one of our, our lunch stops on our trail adventure last week with the gang. Uh, we stopped at the Mercantile there in uh, Anamone, and I had the Anamone burger. Uh, Mark, I think, had tacos. I'm not, I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, great burger. I think they're ranked as one of the best burger joints in the state. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk more about the Paiute Trail, too, Mark. And you mentioned that it's, uh, it's a long one, I think, over 1,600 miles. I have never stopped long enough, however, to talk to the people and maybe – um, your ride with Kevin Jones was a good opportunity about how all of this takes place. You mentioned they added 400 miles, but that's no small task. That's right. You know, they, they have to work closely with the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service. And it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? It's been, you know, several decades of work where they have identified trails. They've put signs up on the trails. They've Every spring they're in there cutting cutting stuff that's come down in the winter, the the winter fall, the logs across the trails and debris. And these guys do a a, a yeoman's work of keeping those trails 
accessible and signed properly so that people can go out and enjoy them. And it's just incredible what they've done. 1,600 miles of network trails. When you talk about these trails, particularly the Paiute, I always think of uh, ATVs and side-by-sides, Bob, but I think there's good mountain bike riding out there, too. There are some mountain bike trails. I mean, the the trail system itself is incredibly extensive. I mean, it's one of the largest trail systems in the country, and it connects to uh, the Gooseberry, the Great Western Trail, and and many others all the way into the Markagunt. So it's it's a pretty extensive trail system throughout there. There are some mountain bike trails, uh, but it's primarily you know off road OHV. Uh, th- these are more alpine trails going through forest and you know high desert areas. So they're more ideal for the the club rider. You know the type that are uh, you know there are some 50 inch trails. But it's only a small percentage of the overall trail system or 50 inch. So most. Uh, side by sides can go on these trails as well, but they they want to really you know they they want to keep the trails in good condition and that. So it's not the type of trail that you would go to if you're more of a sand hollow or a Moab type of rider. Not to say that it's not open to you, but just keep that in mind that these are more alpine trail type of riding. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love, Mark, about going out with somebody like Kevin is uh, as a uh, and being out there with several other board members. They are so passionate. I always come away from my experiences like that wondering, what is it in my life that would get me that involved <laughs> and dedicate that much of my life to something? But they really do love and care that uh, for that area. They, they're, they, These are the kind of people who just love the outdoors, don't they? And they love, in this case, they love the mountainous outdoors. And, and they, they love getting out on their machines almost daily and seeing what they can do. They're volunteers. This is all just something they do out of the goodness of their hearts. And, and, and it's wonderful to see what they've done over the last several decades. And, and this trail system that they've developed and created is, you know, you've got high mountain peaks, you've got a lot of lakes to fish, uh, a lot of waterfalls that you can go explore. There's all kinds of old relics and from mining and so on. There's so much in this area to explore that it's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. Bob, tell me about the Peterson family. Oh, the Peterson family, uh, we went to an area called Big Rocks, just south of Loa, just, oh, what, what, five minutes, Mark, from Loa? We get into an area that has these massive boulders. That's a BLM recreation area. And what they do there are trial bikes. I'm not, you know, you may not have heard of what a trial bike is, but it looks like, you know, it's not that much bigger than an e-bike but you know they've got a uh, pretty good horsepower on them they don't have a saddle on them per se they're just kind of oh gosh i'd have to show you a picture i don't know how to describe them <laughs> maybe you're better at it than i am but you don't really sit on them you're standing the whole time yeah and you can go up over the the boulders through obstacle courses it's pretty it's a pretty big deal actually i wasn't familiar with it the peterson family of that it's an entire family all the kids are into it their dad was from what i understood was quite an accomplished writer at it and he's he's raising his kids in it and they compete now they have the big rocks tournament here they have uh events in saint george and up north in northern utah and across the country and i guess it's international in fact the best writers are not in in the states they're actually in europe i believe that really are accomplished writers but it's a pretty fun thing to watch we'll have 
some video and photographs of it that we'll have on our blog that you can get a better idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, we'd love to see a little bit more about that. I'm sure we'll get some questions. You briefly talked, Mark, about the fact that this uh, Paiute Trail will lead you to some nice uh, fishing holes up there. And one of the things we've been preaching with all of this heat is to get up and out of the heat. And the fishing actually might even be better up there. And uh, you're not going to always catch the biggest of fish, but you're going to have a great, memorable, and probably enjoyable day. Yeah, right there, you know, off the Parker Mountain Complex to the east is is the entire Boulder Mountain Complex. And you've got 80 lakes up there, and they stock most of those lakes. And we were up there with Adam on uh, last Thursday night. He had uh, some of the people from Stedman's out there, his, the family, Kurt Stedman's family, and they were out there trying to see if they could catch some, some trout. And it was a beautiful night as the sun was going down, and a few other fishermen had come into the area. So there are so many lakes up on that mountain that it's, it's a great place to go. And I hear there's some big ones up there, too. Isn't part of that international dark sky area, too? That's correct. It's, uh, in fact, uh, after we got done with fishing, we spent a couple of hours just sitting out till about midnight, there was no moon out, and there was a perfect night for shooting some star shots. We'll have some pictures of those star shots from Big Rocks on our blog as well. Bob, what were the temperatures up there at night? Do you remember? Uh, up at night, at, I well, I imagine they were probably down into the 50s maybe up in the top, you know, yeah. maybe down in the 40s even. Yeah. Um, the daytime temperatures were pretty comfortable at the top, too. On the Parker Trail, we were above 8,000 feet and above 9,000 feet for most of the day. Well, again, if people want to see uh, some of what you guys were involved with, they can watch the Adam Eagle program on KSL TV. It's KSL Outdoors on Channel 5. Uh, but I'm sure you also are going to have some stuff, Mark, on your website. That's right. They can go to roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com, and they'll see more. Speaking of road tripping, uh, you guys are going to come back, so we'll reconnect in the next half hour. I do need to get some fish bites in. And then Raylan Takeda, who is the Hunter Education Coordinator for the division, will join us right after the top of the hour. Stay with us. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Papa was a fisherman. Papa was a fisherman. He loved his cars and his steel guitars. Papa was a fisherman. Everybody sing. Ooh, All right, before you get started, Navidomskis, let me just throw out there, we have a new fishing record in the state. Congratulations going out from the division to St. George resident Trevor Houston. He had a catch and release record. He caught a 16-and-a-half-inch black bullhead catfish at Gunlock Reservoir. Doesn't sound like a big fish, but I guess for a... Uh, black bullhead, that's big. Yeah. Yeah, every fish has categories, and you can catch a record in every category. Yeah, great stuff. All right, what yeah. do you want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about a kind of fishing that I don't really ever talk about, but it is arguably the favorite fly fishing way, and that is floating down a river. Okay, so, look, there's you stand in the water, you stand on the bank, you know, 
you're in a boat, you're in a faux tube in a lake, but the best fishing of all, fly fishing particularly, is floating down a river. And the reason why is the first cast is always the best cast. When you come up on a hole, you stay low, you try not to be seen, you quiet yourself, and you throw it out there knowing that the first cast matters. And that's the one, because they're sitting there waiting for stuff. If anything hits the water, it's going to get their attention. Well, that's always in your favor when you're floating, because you got new hole after new hole after new hole. So there are people who just cast a lot. I recommend holding your cast and being strategic with your cast, because the first cast matters. So you come up on you know, a pool or behind a rock or whatever you're looking for, and then you put it out there and expect to get a hit immediately, and that's generally what happened to us. So I was noticing a couple of my red hats, particularly my son, uh, didn't understand these concepts like I wanted him to. So I thought about the fish bites. So I have four scenarios that I want to tell the people about if they're floating a river. And by the way, floating a river is – Something that's a little dangerous, but when you're good at it, it's the best way to fish. So that's everybody's evolution in my mind. Okay, so what you have to do is simple rules. People want to fish behind the boat. That's a wasted cast. You're never catching anything. Hmm. People want to fish in front of the boat, also a wasted cast. And the reason why the fish, when 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 you're coming over them and you're maybe 10 to, to 20 feet, they shoot to the side. So all your casts have to be side of the raft you can't go behind it because they've they've you know cleared and in the front they're going to clear so do you cast in front of you you do because the best thing about drifting like this is that the raft or the boat floats faster than your strike indicator or your fly we were fishing tries uh this past weekend but what you do is you throw it out at a 45 degree angle from whatever raft you're on in front of the boat at a 45 near the bank. You say, why do you always cast to the bank? You're like, you guys go down the banks. Well, we're throwing hoppers right now, and and that's where the fish go to find hoppers. So when they get to the side, they're looking for hoppers to hit the water, so it just works that way. But you can get them midstream, but they're still not going to be in the current. They're going to be behind rocks. So what you want to do is prepare your cast and be patient with it. I want you to throw your cast before you get to the rock, over the rock, because that way the fish cannot see you. Now you're going to hit an eddy right behind it, and the eddy current is going back into the rock. So what you want to do is you want to hit one side or the other, because down both sides of that rock, that current is going, and then it causes a back eddy on both sides towards the rock. That'll really mess up your line and mess up your cast, and you won't get as many strikes. That is where the fish are. They're in that back eddy, but they're watching the fast current go by them. So keep it in the fast current behind the rock, right on the seam between dead water and fast water, and you're going to get one every time. Now, there's three other scenarios I want to talk about. Um, One is the scum line. Now, scum line is a term that fly fishermen use. it. It just means foam. There's a lot of foam on the water. I mean, especially in a, a torrid, rapidy river, you got little places of windows where there's foam on the water, maybe a circular motion. It's sort of like being in the hot tub in the old days. You had that big pile of suds right in the middle. <laughs> Yuck. Okay, so that is where they are. That's where the fish are. The fish go right to the scum because they are looking for all things that are collecting there, which are mostly terrestrials and insects alike and so i always fish scum lines so when you're looking find the scum throw in front of it don't cast into it generally but if you can find a way to drift into the scum line you're always going to get them 
And then the next thing I'm looking for is a confluence. It could be the same river that had broken apart and came back together or a side trip coming in. And what you want to do is get the seam exactly between the two rivers because they come at different temps and they come at different speeds. And so the fish enjoy being on the seam because they don't have to work very much and they can keep a good lookout because it's a good place for food to arrive as well. So you always feed the seam. And then I got one more here. I'm not sure I can read my writing. <laughs> we thought you had all this committed to memory. You've got well, about 30 I wrote, seconds. I wrote four things on there, but I only have three shows I can read. So. <laughs> okay. All right. But that's all great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got more, Tim. I mean, I'll be old and not doing it anymore, but I still have a good memory and tell people how to do it. Well, we'll be checking in with you wherever you happen to be laying down at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, do me a favor. I'd like to do one more segment in the next hour about uh, more of your memories from the Middle Fork. Can we do that? Absolutely. All right. Uh, Russ, stand by. We're going to take a news break for the top of the hour and on the other side talk about National Shooting Sports Month. So stay right there. God's cathedral, and I'm out here for the good Lord's sake. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.